And uh, this morning, I want to speak to you about how Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Amen. Uh, our scripture comes from 1 John chapter 3, verses 4 to 8. I'm going to invite you to stand in honor of the reading of God's word. Just four verses, and those verses will be on the screen. We're going to read together in one voice. Would you join me? Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason, why, the, reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's works. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word from 1 John chapter 3. And today I am praying that your people... Everyone who is gathered in this place, everyone who is joining us online, would walk in victory. That is why you came to this world. You came to usher us into an era of victory. Victory over sin. Victory over the devil. Victory in every aspect of our life. So Lord, we're calling on you today, on the name of Jesus, the great victor. And we're praying that you'd help us in our areas of weakness. Help us stay steadfast and true to you, Lord, no matter what comes our way. Lord, I pray for the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to be upon me as I preach the word to your people. They have come to hear a word from the Lord. May I be the vessel that you use to, to speak to them. And Lord, we ask for your blessing now in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. You may be seated. Many of you, I know you like Christmas carols. I like Christmas carols too. And the lyrics are so powerful. They tell stories. They give us images of the Christmas story. Now, the lyrics of our Christmas carols have created a very particular portrait of Jesus for us. Let me just pull a few lyrics for us today. And it will give us an image of this Jesus. From Silent Night, we have these lyrics. Holy Infant so tender and mild. Wow. From away in the manger, the little Lord Jesus laid down his sweet head. I wish my head was sweet, but his head is sweet, little baby Jesus. And then away in a manger as well, it says the little Lord Jesus asleep on the hay. Isn't that precious? Oh, asleep on the hay. How could hay become? You know, while we recognize that Jesus entered our world as an infant, we must also emphasize that he entered our world as the son of God. This is big. This baby came with great purpose and destiny. And so as the son of God, there is something militant about his arrival. That he came on a mission not only to save, but on a mission to also destroy. There's something within you and I that needs to be destroyed. There's something in this world that needs to be destroyed. There is a particular someone who needs to be destroyed, and his name is the devil. I've noticed that our theology, our belief of victory, 
comes from the Easter event, the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. And there is no doubt in my mind that this was the climactic moment of Jesus' life, Jesus' ministry, Jesus' story. No argument there. But from an alternative or another perspective, why do we disconnect our theology of victory from the incarnation of Jesus, Jesus coming into our world? The news of the conception and the birth of Jesus, yes, it was good news, we're told. But it is also victorious news. The promised Messiah of scriptures had finally come. Jesus was not only a new king, he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He has no rivals. He has no equals. There is no one like Jesus. In the physical realm, As we read the story in Matthew's gospel, we see that Herod was threatened by Jesus. In the spiritual realm, here's what I believe. The moment Jesus was born, the devil must have trembled. Seriously. The devil must have trembled because Jesus has now come from heaven to earth. That's radical. God becoming flesh signaled the end of an era and the beginning of a new era. And so this morning, I want to share three reasons drawn from 1 John chapter 3, verses 4 to 8, about why Jesus' birth enables us, you and me, to live victoriously right here and right now. The first point is that Jesus came into this world to destroy the devil's works, which is taking away our sin. We see this in verse 5, where it says, But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. Isn't that good news? Come on, church, we can give an amen to that. He took away our sins. Okay, let's let's do this. (laughs) You know, the salvation plan of God from sin was wrapped up in the conception and the birth of a baby from Bethlehem. And in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, the angel of the Lord came and he told Joseph and he said, She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because, here's the reason, He will save his people from their sins. Notice that Jesus' arrival is for the benefit of his own people. Who are his people? It's the Jews, it's the Hebrews, it's the Israelites. But then later it was John the Baptist, his cousin, who declared Jesus' true identity in John chapter 1 verse 29. And it says the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look. The Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world! Exclamation mark. Right? Notice that Jesus' arrival is for the benefit of all people in this world. And who are the people of the world? It's the Gentiles. It's people like you and me who are not born naturally into the family of God. So this means that Jesus came for the benefit of both Jews and Gentiles. And it was possible, and it is still possible, even to this moment, for those who have sinned to have their sins taken away. Amen? One popular question I hear often is, if Jesus really came to take away sin, why do we still struggle with sin? It's a fair enough question. It's actually a great question. Here's the thing. We need to set the record straight. Jesus is the solution. He is not the problem. Secondly, he is not the sinner, we are the sinners. 
So the problem, the deficiency is not in Jesus and his ability. The deficiency is within us. And when he takes away our sin, he does so completely. The Bible says, as I remove your sin as far as from the east and the west, I remove your transgressions from you. So he takes away our sin, he does so completely. That, however, does not mean that we are no longer tempted. Jesus never promised us that we would never be tempted. We will be tempted. And the devil is well aware of our unique weaknesses. Here's the thing, without transformation, when we're tempted, we will fall back into the same sins over and over and again. But with transformation, when tempted, we will actually overcome our sin. That's the difference. The key is the transformation that takes place in the life of the believer. Are you being transformed when you're forgiven? Or are you just going through the motions and just trying to cover yourself from the shame and the guilt and the pain? In verse 6, the Apostle John was very clear that no one who lives in him keeps on sinning. Those are heavy words, aren't they? Sin is a deliberate choice, not something you cannot help. And if you are in Christ, you cannot continue to sin and simply expect Jesus to continue to just take your sins away. Friends, that's an abuse of his grace. Living in Christ requires a change in behavior, a change in conduct. It's a transformation. Furthermore, in verse 8, the Apostle John, he clarified that the one who does what is sinful is of the devil. This is a question of loyalty. If I keep on doing what is sinful and I am self-declaring then that I am a son or a daughter of the devil. The devil's work is to make you his child by keeping you enslaved in your sin. But Jesus, he comes to destroy the devil's work by taking you away from your sin. And the Apostle John was not teaching that you must be perfect. The Apostle John was saying that you must make progress. You need to grow. You need to get better. You need to improve. You should not be the same as you once were before Christ. You should be better. Because Jesus makes all the difference. So the question I ask you today is, does your life reveal the victory of Christ or the virus of the devil? Secondly, today, the reason Jesus came into the world was to destroy the devil's works. And one of those works was to lead us astray. But in this, he leads, Jesus leads you straight. You see this in verse 7 where it says, dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. We're reminded in this passage that we are all children. Now, all those adults in this room might not like being referred to this way. But the Apostle John does not say this to belittle his readers, but to give them a sense of their true identity as children of God. You are not children of the devil, no. You are children of God. Sons and daughters of the King. And the Apostle John also took on the role of a father figure to those under his care, those who he's writing to. So the onus is then placed on both the physical and the spiritual parents to take an active role in leading their children, their biological children or their spiritual children. You know, if children are not spiritually led, they will be led astray. It's going to happen. And our straying does not make God a failure as a parent, but it instead conveys the deceptive allure of the devil's works. 
The Apostle Paul, he communicated some of his own fears as a spiritual father to the Corinthian church. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, the Apostle Paul wrote these words and he said, but I'm afraid. I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. He's afraid. Pastors are afraid for their congregants. One mistake took Eve and her family off course from the straight path for their lives. And friends, all it takes is one deception to lead us astray. You know, just one degree in change direction will take us to a whole entirely different destination. Not the destination we originally planned. The good news today is that Jesus is able to lead you straight. He can lead you straight for two particular reasons. The first is this, that in him is no sin. In him is no sin. It says that in verse 5. He knows what it means to live in our world. That's what I love about Jesus. It's not like Jesus just stayed in heaven and he looked down upon the people and he said, do this, do that, don't do this, don't do that. And just, you know, yelled out instructions to us. No, Jesus came down out of heaven to earth to show us what it means to be like him. What it means to live like him. What it means to live without sin. He alone knows what it means to walk straight without deviating to the left or to the right. And then in Hebrews 4.15, the author explained this way. He said, we have one who has been tempted in every way. Just as we are. Hold on a minute. You're saying Jesus was tempted in the same ways that I'm tempted? You bet. He's human. He took on full humanity while still being fully divine. So he knows what it means to struggle the way we struggle. To be tempted the way we're tempted. And yet, even still, he did not sin. It is not that Jesus was exempt from temptation. It is that he overcame every temptation. And unlike him, the devil is full of sin. And it's impossible for the devil to lead you straight for all he knows are crooked paths. So the first reason is that in him is no sin. The second reason is that he is righteous. We see this in verse 7. By saying that he is righteous, this means that he knows which is the right way from the wrong way. He can distinguish between paths. In the familiar Psalm 23, particularly in verse 3, David penned, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. In other words, in Jesus, we have a personal guide who is like a shepherd, and his name is Jesus. He is our shepherd. He is our guide. He takes and leads us forward even when we cannot see clearly in this life. I love the words that are found in Isaiah 30, 21, where we are reminded that God's voice addresses the drift in our lives. And we all can drift. Listen to the scripture. Whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way. Walk in it. Isn't that awesome? That's Jesus' voice to you. This is the way. Walk in it. Don't go that way. This is the way. 
It is Jesus who keeps us on the straight and narrow path and road. And unlike him, the devil is wicked. He is righteous, but the devil is wicked. I wonder if you've ever followed someone in a large crowd or space, only to realize at some point you started following someone else. Has this happened to any of you? A few of you. This is the exact same thing that happened in that iconic movie that casts a boy named Kevin McAllister in Home Alone 2 while his family was running through the airport to get to their Christmas destination. Kevin got distracted and he took his eyes off his dad. Man. And I think in the same way, when we take our eyes off Jesus, we get led astray. Kevin became lost in New York City, the Big Apple, the big city. And we too, we can get lost in our sin. And this is how the devil leads us astray. But can I encourage you today to keep your eyes on Jesus? Can I encourage you today to follow after Jesus so that you will walk the straight path? You will not be distracted by the things around you. You will not be led astray by the devil's works. Thirdly today... Is Jesus, one of the reasons why Jesus came was to destroy the devil's work? Yes, but the work from the very beginning. We look at this in verse 8. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Now, you might ask today, what exactly are the devil's works? One scripture that always comes to mind is John 10, verse 10. The thief comes only to steal, to kill, and destroy. Now, here you can see that the, the devil is depicted as a thief. He is a taker. He's not a giver. He just takes, 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 takes. Now, none of this is new information to us. According to 1 John 3, verse 8, the devil has been sinning from when? The beginning. What do you mean by the beginning? First, we have to go back to the heavenly realms. In Isaiah 14, verse 12, the New King James Version, Isaiah prophesied, he said, How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. It's important to remember that God made Lucifer. He created him. Lucifer's name was translated to be the morning star. He was the archangel of heaven made for God's good pleasure. But then when Lucifer became prideful, God cast him out of heaven to the earth. And this is when he became known to us as Satan as the devil. And even in this act, we see that God has no tolerance for Lucifer's rebellion. So it has to go to the heavenly realms first. The second location is Genesis. And we go back to the Garden of Eden. In Genesis 3, verse 13, the woman confessed to the Lord and said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. While Adam and Eve's decision had a systemic and a generational impact The Lord cursed that serpent in Genesis 3.15 saying, And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. These very prophetic words were fulfilled by the second Adam, whose name is Jesus. Third, we have to go back to Jesus himself, who was also tempted by Satan. Jesus would later talk about the works of the devil. And this deception was more specifically defined in John chapter 8, verse 44, where Jesus said he was a murderer from when? From the beginning. 
not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. And when he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. He is a murderer because the sin he perpetuated brought death to humankind. He's a liar because he created distrust in the creation about their creator. But unlike the devil who came to lie and to murder, Jesus came to speak the truth and to give life. And at every moment since the garden, all the way till now today, at every moment, Jesus counters the devil's work. I really believe at the incarnation moment, when Jesus was born into this world, I told you earlier, the devil trembled. You know, part of that victory was realized at the first advent, what we call Christmas. But the fullness of that victory will be realized at another event, the second advent, what we call the second coming of Jesus. And here's what we believe as a church. We believe Jesus is coming again. And that is why we celebrate now, but we also pray with expectation because we're praying this prayer over and over, not just about the now, but the not yet. Come, Lord Jesus. Don't just come into my heart. Don't just come into my home. Come again into our world. As we conclude this morning and the worship team returns to the stage. I think most of us celebrate Christmas like it's a birthday party. Let that sink in for a moment. Most of us celebrate Christmas like it's a birthday party. Like December 25th is Jesus' birthday. And uh, we have to have all the streamers and put on hats. You know those hats with that elastic band that just, you know, it always gets you back. And we have to have those little horns and kuzus. It's his birthday. Right, excitement. There must be a cake. Because cake is important for birthdays. Most of us celebrate Christmas like it's a birthday. But it may be more appropriate to celebrate Christmas as a victory. The arrival of Jesus was God's declaration of intent. That it was the promised destruction of the devil's works that all lead to death. That in John, 20, John 12, 31, Jesus said that the prince of this world will be driven out. In John 14, verse 30, Jesus said, the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me. In John 16, 11, Jesus said, the prince of this world now stands condemned. As Jesus said, so it was, is, and will be. As the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 55, which is a quotation taken from Hosea 13, 14. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? Because Jesus destroys the works of the devil, you and I, those who believe in Christ, do not need to fear death. We don't have to even be fearful of the sting of death. There's no need to fear it. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Friends, Jesus has made it possible for you to be victorious. Jesus has made it possible for you to become an overcomer. 
Jesus has made it possible for you to be a conqueror. Jesus has made it possible for you to be triumphant. So make sure this Christmas that you're not boasting in yourself, but you're boasting in Jesus Christ this Christmas. Because we've done nothing. And he's done everything. And he has destroyed the works of the devil. Yes, the enemy still exists. And yes, he's shooting fiery darts. And yes, he's creating traps for us but we shall overcome. We will not be prey to the attacks of the enemy. No weapon formed against you, my friends, will prosper when you stand in Christ alone. So boast in Jesus.